Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. What's up, everybody? This is Kyle Newback, back with another episode of The New Slant. As always, with me is my buddy, my pal, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you doing after a uh, another dramatic Eagles win on Sunday? Riding high. It's Dallas week, baby. So you know I'll be all about that. Tweeting, podcasting. Yeah, it's nuts. going to be a... Uh, be a lot of nervous energy. I, I guess nervous energy probably isn't even the right thing. Everyone's going to be convinced that they'll beat them until about 20 minutes before the there's, game on Sunday. There's no nerves. It's a win. <laughs> Have you ever covered a game in An person? An Eagles game? No, I do all that from Correct. the... Uh, yeah, I figure. I remember if they, were, if they were just three down there for like a playoff. Yeah, no. I mean, I probably could do all that, but because I'm predominantly Sixers guy, I tend to use my actual going to games energy for the team that I'm like full-time covering. And that's more of a, yeah, I help out on the side. And so it's, it's nice to be able to, to sit at my desk with three monitors and like I'm in the, what's his name? Um, Ozymandias from the watchmen, just <laughs> looking at all my monitors while yeah. I watch the game, watch the game, you nerd. Um, yeah. Watch the game. So Actually, speaking of games, we're pretty much going to ignore the last couple Sixers games, I think, because Friday's win over the Pelicans was just a slog that no one really cares about. The loss in Brooklyn, we might touch on a little bit at some point. It's not a real game. It was just everyone played poorly. It wasn't very exciting to watch. Joel Embiid didn't play. Al Horford looked like he needed to be taken out back and given the old yeller treatment. So, you know, just a bad a bad Sunday night performance that Seamus and I choose to move on from because it's not going to generate any kind of interesting discussion. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I choose to not acknowledge any games where Joe and B didn't play. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there are probably going to be some more of those this year that we will have to talk about. And a lot of games I won't care no. about. So instead, we're going to sit today and... I know Brett Brown has said that Christmas is sort of the uh, the first third, I think he's called it. I don't know that that's the, the actual math, if that's how it adds up, but I'll yeah, call we'll, have to, we'll have to go to the, the podcast statisticians on that one. But so we want to take a look at how the Sixers stack up to the team's that they might or are likely to face in the Eastern Conference playoffs this year. I guess kind of talk out and and analyze who we think is for real, how they might give the Sixers problems, why we're not concerned with them. And so I guess where we'll start is with the number one team, not just in the East, but just in general, 
the Milwaukee Bucks this year. And I know last year, Seamus and I, in our group chat with our, our good pals, Wesley Share and Jake Pavorsky, I was... We got to get him on a pod. We do. We need to have a little uh, little reunion podcast. Okay, okay. But I was one of the, the big, like, pro Milwaukee. They're really good, and they look like they're going to win the title. And our, and our yeah. pal Wesley was fading them all year. Not... Not a playoff, but Wesley was the most vocal about it. Not a playoff team, not going to have it when it matters. Lo and behold, they lose to Toronto in the Eastern Conference Finals in six games. And so they come back this year, and once again, they look like a regular season juggernaut. And I don't know what their record – they're 24-3. and I have it in front of me. 24-3 and right now. They're on a huge winning streak. Seamus, have you changed your stance on whether the Bucks are for real or not? I mean, they're certainly the Sixers' biggest competitor in the East, but I'm not scared of them. Uh, last year, I was not scared of them. Again, I agree with our good friend Wesley Share that they are a regular season team. They are not a playoff team. Uh, last season, the entire regular season, I, all I said was, I'm only scared of Toronto. I'm scared of Toronto. I'm scared of scared of Kawhi people are like oh we can't say that the Bucks you know all the length the Bucks you know basketball Twitter darlings all that bullshit they're just not a playoff team and maybe the Sixers aren't a playoff team yet but they don't scare me at this stage and there's no one else that has a there's no Kawhi in the east for me this year John Giannis is not that guy so are the team that the Sixers should fear the most I guess uh but I think they're the better team and cannot wait until next Wednesday to prove all of the uh, nitwit basketball true <laughs> okay so here i i'm gonna disagree with you on a couple fronts not oh i'm shocked you number one Giannis is the mvp again this year and would be he wasn't the mvp and last would be year. the best player in a series against the sixers i don't even really think that's debatable at this point like he's he puts up cartoon numbers and as much as sixers fans hold on to this idea of like oh joel Embiid defended him well in that one game they played in Milwaukee, that's not going to – I don't think that holds up over the course of a seven-game Al's season. defended well, him well. Well, guess what, Seamus? Al defended him well in he, previous years. and Yeah, Al Horford might be a loser of the week. So Giannis who, who still blew that Celtics team off the floor in the playoffs. Like, they just laid down. Now, obviously, there were some extenuating circumstances there with the whole uh, Kyrie Irving thing that was going on there. But I, I like I can recall a couple of different times, a couple of different games I should say, where the Sixers played Milwaukee the last couple of years, and Ben Simmons, who is a, a strong dude, a, a very good defender. We've talked about him being an all defense guy, and Giannis just was absolutely overpowering him, looking like a young version of Shaq out there. Like it was ridiculous when he, oh I'm not God, ki- dude, I'm not kidding. Go back and watch the last game those two teams played last year. Giannis made him look like a baby and he yelled at him and called him a baby on the floor as he was dunking on him. So like you can say whatever you want about the rest of the guys on that team. And I think somebody like Eric Bledsoe might turn into a pumpkin in the playoffs. But at the same time, Giannis is going to stick it down their throat and he's going to every single night, he will be a problem to deal with. And it's just a matter of whether they can limit the effectiveness of everybody else on that team. So that's that's point number one. Number two, the fact that they lost to the Raptors should not be this like big indictment of them as like a, oh they're 
They're no threat to the Sixers. The Sixers were better than them, and they played the Raptors better. They played the team that's that team twenty. 20- 19 Raptors is better than either the 2020 or 2020 Bucks. The 2026ers. Well, well guess Bucks. what? The, the Sixers, Sixers beat the better. team that Fred Van Vliet shot like oh for a million in that series when he actually played like a normal basketball against, basketball player against Milwaukee. Turns out they were better than Milwaukee. So I, I tend to believe as much as the Sixers did a good job defensively on somebody like Van Vliet, I think in an at like a normal average series, he's not going to play that poorly. Like, look, we've talked about it before. I think the Sixers should have beaten Toronto, but the idea that we should sit here and discount Milwaukee as a contender specifically because of losing to that team with Kawhi in the zone he was in last year, it just seems a little off base to me. Now, what I will say, and I have to say that this is something that Tim Bontemps. ESPN writer has said to me when we've like been covering games and stuff. Oh no, big deal! No, I'm saying, well, because I'm not trying to take credit for his point. He said, "Look, a lot of a lot of Budenholzer teams have looked like this. They're they're great regular season teams, and they they blow teams off the floor when they win, and it make it props them up and makes them look like these statistical darlings. And then they get to the playoffs, and he doesn't necessarily have answers. He doesn't want to change what they do, and." In fairness, you could probably say that to some extent with Brett Brown, but I think Brett, that's actually one of the things that he has been good at last couple of years is adjustments in a a playoff setting. If Maybe not in the regular season, but certainly we've seen him switch stuff up in the playoffs. But that's where I think you could make a case that they're not a team that you necessarily need to fear. I just I respect Giannis enough that I'm always going to take them seriously. And I, before the season, on this podcast and elsewhere, I'd pick them to win the East. And I have not changed my opinion on that since the season started, obviously. I think Ben Simmons is in a different world of a defender right now than he has been the last couple of years. And I think as much as he may have killed Simmons in previous matchups with the Sixers, I think 2019-2020 Simmons uh, is a different caliber defender than anything that Giannis has seen previously uh, against the Sixers. That could be true, but I, I tend to believe a lot of his defensive improvement has been just more consistent effort. And it's effort. It's effort. Yeah, but I don't think he tried before. I think that's part of my point. And I guess you could say, well, if he's not trying, that's an indictment of him as a player. And sure, but uh, he seems to be much more engaged this year defensively. And I am a believer in his defense. I think he will end up being a first-team all-defense guy, probably right alongside Giannis. Uh, but I'm interested to see how he actually – it's a seven-game playoff series that's locked in. It, it actually matters. It's not some random Wednesday night game in January. I want to see how Simmons plays defense in that regard, in that situation, against a player of Giannis's caliber. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we have our disagreements there, but I think both of us – would sit here and say that Milwaukee is a really good team and odds are that if they want to, if they want to go to the finals team in the East besides the Sixers. Yes. They're going to have to beat them if they want to make the finals. That's that's really the the most important thing here is like, they're not going to, I don't foresee a scenario where they get to the final, unless Giannis suffers some kind of serious injury. I don't foresee a scenario where they can get to the finals without beating them. And that's why there, like, if you're looking at the the big picture here, that Christmas game and the other two games they'll have against them this year are arguably the biggest games they'll play in the regular season. 
Almost. It, it might be inarguably. Yeah, I don't know that they. you could say no, that. No, I don't. I don't think, yeah, because it's going to come down to home court. If the Sixers have home court advantage in every round of the playoffs, I believe they're going to go to the finals. If they don't, they might not. Well, I mean, it sounds reductive, but it's it's true. They're incredible at home. They're, what, like 75 and 21 or something over the last two and a half years, whatever it may be. They're undefeated at home this year. They need to beat Milwaukee, especially at home. They need to get this game. They need to steal this. And ideally, you're facing... This time, you know, May 31st, June 1st, whatever it may be, hopefully you're playing in Philadelphia as opposed to a shithole in Milwaukee. <laughs> well, I, I, would n- I would not hold out much hope for the number one seed. I think – I mean, I don't think they're going to get yeah, it. But. And, and Brett Brown, I, I actually asked him about it recently. I said, do you still think it's realistic to – like you look at how much of a machine the Bucks are where like they don't just beat teams, they're crushing them. And even like the Sixers, I think eventually some of these close wins that they're squeaking out, as much as we say like, yeah, they, they're learning how to win and so on and so forth, some of these are going to go against them eventually. And they're a lot more prone to just these bad off nights that they've had, like the one against Brooklyn, then Milwaukee. So I think they're already playing from a hole. I think it's only going to get tougher from here. But I mean, they certainly have to approach it as if, they can catch them. I just don't think that that's something that's probably in the cards this year. I'd rather be the two seed and have healthy Joe ready to and go. I that I would agree with that. I think that that's the most important thing. Like they have they want to they have to get two or three. They cannot be fourth. And I think over time it'll probably they're not going to be fourth. I, I don't know. Like I I, I ultimately think it'll it's be cool. two Let's or three. The other but teams. It's, it's going to depend on a lot of different variables and. Of the teams that are fighting for those spots, they're the one that has more games where they just kind of no show it, which is always a uh, it's always a concern when you're trying to look forward at, at who's going to end up where for seeding. Yeah, I mean, if they no show the games without Joe, I don't. It's nothing yeah. to me. It sounds so simple and stupid, but reality of their best players not playing, it's not really indicative of how they will play in the playoffs that's fair okay so let's move on to a team that the Sixers are playing this week who is the surprise number two seed in the east as we currently stand the Miami Heat the the Jimmy Butler retirement tour as some Sixers fans would like to say is going splendidly they are 19 and 7 they are technically the same amount of games back from Milwaukee as the Sixers but the Sixers have played a couple more games so I think it's going to go back and forth for a little bit here. Both teams are, are dealing with tougher schedules now. Do you consider the Miami Heat a real threat to the Sixers in a playoff setting today? No. Give me the case for why not. Sure. I think, you know, obviously they're doing very well right now, but I think we're also in that, as we've seen in multiple destinations and multiple cities, he is in, he being Jimmy Butler, is in his honeymoon period with the heat right now and as much as butler did have success here and how i you know at one point i did want him to stay this past summer i think he has a tendency to wear out his welcome quickly and i even with a you know it's a cliched but the heat culture and that sort of environment and i think spolster is at least the best coach in the eastern conference i think that's important and you know i think that'll be the one again i'm not the world's biggest brett brown fan but i think that's the only series uh except maybe boston where they'd have a real clear-cut disadvantage in the coaching department. But I don't think the team around him, even if 
Butler continues playing at his absurd rate, which I don't necessarily guarantee it. Come January, February, he's certainly going to be coasting to a degree. Uh, he's done it literally every destination, everywhere he's played. Um, and also, I'm just not really sure they have anyone to stop Joe come April, May, whatever. Yeah, I, I think the best case against them rests on the fact that there's no like I I think Bam out of bio is really good. Bam's great, but he doesn't. He's like a power. Right, he's but he's not a guy that stops could... Joel. Like he's too small to deal Correct. with him. He's he's been awesome this year. He might be an all star. Like I've given him credit, but he's he, yeah, not, he's been really he's good. But he's not the type of dude that you need if you want to stop Joel. Now, what, the reason I would say I I play devil's advocate a bit and say yes, I am taking them seriously from where we sit in the middle of December is that while I don't think in an, in an average series they would beat the Sixers, they have the type of – there's a lot of variance with them because they have a formula that in the playoffs, if you just get hot for four, five, six, even seven games, they might, they're going to have a puncher's chance against people because they have one guy who you can put the ball in his hands and just ask him to run a million pick and rolls, and then they have a ton of shooters and a great pick and roll big man – to play alongside him so you spread the floor out and you maybe you drag Joel like if you put Myers Leonard or Kelly Olenek in a game at center maybe Joel feasts against them and he picks up a bunch of cheap fouls and then so on and so forth but at the other end if he's having a close out to the three-point line every possession and and you wear him down like that and you just win the math problem where they just put up a ton of threes and the Sixers live in that mid-range in the paint area and are trying to get a lot of their points at the free throw line, I can see an outcome where it tilts in Miami's direction. Now, would I bet on Miami if we're saying if they're playing a series 100 times, would I say that the Sixers would win most of those? Absolutely. But I think that's the only reason that I would say you look at that team and say, yeah, I think they're kind of for real. Because honestly, I think the most impressive thing about them so far is that despite the fact that they have some guys I'd consider like iffy defenders, they're still a top 10 defense or top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency right now. Spoh's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, Spolcher's a good coach. They've had some guys in and out of the lineup. Like Justice Winslow was not there, was not healthy when they played in Philadelphia in the 40-point blowout. I think Sixers fans probably saw that game and just wrote them off for good. I would caution against doing that because Miami's been a really good home team this year, as much as we make fun of the, uh, the fans down there. And that is actually, that's the exact sort of environment that, that shooters tend to thrive in is when they have the, uh, the loud home crowd behind them. So I'm not, I'm not picking them in a series against the Sixers in mid December, but I would say that people need to start taking them a little bit more seriously than they probably are. Yeah, I'll make sure when I tweet out the link to this podcast, I'll say that Kyle specifically is very scared. <laughs> that is not even a little bit fair because, you know, and here's the other thing with the, the Jimmy thing. I think we've praised Tobias a lot lately for his improvement. I ultimately think Joel would be great in a series against Miami, but I still don't know that I have the trust level to say like, yeah, that's going to be the two man combo. That's going to win you playoff series. Like this is ultimately going to come down to what does Ben Simmons look like in the playoffs. And I think 
as Jimmy Butler saw firsthand in Philadelphia last year, there are teams that just play him out of games. And so I don't know that I trust Ben enough to to put them against teams that are very good on both ends and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to show up enough where this is a clear win for the Sixers. I think that the teams at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff race, sure. Like, I would never sit here and tell you, oh, man, I'm, I, I would be terrified of the Orlando Magic if I were the Sixers. But I, I think everybody else, there's, there's always going to be a case until we see an offensive change from Ben. That's fair. <laughs> that that and like we could that could be the whole podcast right there, right? Is that's like, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I mean like Ben is Ben has flaws, and if Jimmy Butler's on and they're playing in South Beach, and Dion Waiters is getting the crowd going, and he's getting under Joe Skin, and Joe's picking him a couple of ticky tack fails, sure, but I just don't think it's most likely. All right, fair enough. All right, moving on. Another team that the Sixers played recently, one that has haunted them in decades past, but certainly in recent history as well. Seamus Clancy's favorite team, the Boston Celtics. How are we feeling about the Celtics? I'm usually, I'm usually team panic when it comes to Celtics, um, where I just the sky's falling, they'll never beat the Celtics, that kind of uh, fatalism. But they don't really scare me this year. I think Kemba's awesome. I think Kemba's better than Kyrie right now. Uh, I think he's a big upgrade over the now-departed Kyrie. But it just can't, it's just Kemba the team, I feel like. There's like Jalen Brown and Tatum don't scare me at all. Tatum played like shit. He was the loser of the week last <laughs> week, uh, if you guys remember. I mean, and again, it's that situation now where I kind of, on the last pod, or last week's pod, I should say, I compared their wing depth and wing rotation now than where it was a year and a half ago in that second round playoff series back in 2018. It's a world, it's a complete difference. It's a world of a difference. When you have Tobias, who's way improved on defense, you have James Ennis, you have Mike Scott, uh, Matisse Thibault now when the Celtics should have avoided that trade that's in the Philadelphia it's a huge screw up by uh, our pal Danny Ainge so I think the way people were once so scared of their wing rotation it's actually shifting in the opposite direction where I would clearly say that the Sixers have the advantage in the wing and it's really just Kemba that scares me which you know he's as good of a you know one-on-one guard as they're going to find in the Eastern Conference so it's a little scary there but again it's kind of a worse version of the heat to me in the sense that they have like this one guy who could pick and roll people to death, but he's not as talented as Jimmy is right now. And the supporting cast around him isn't as good as what Jimmy has presently. And I think Spoh's a better coach too. I have this mental block with Kemba where I understand and appreciate just how good he is as a player, but I've, because he was on those mediocre to bad Charlotte teams for years, it's like, well, he had all these huge performances against the Sixers and then they, they always lost every time. So I, I guess even when he's cooking, it just doesn't seem like, oh, wow, this is really going to be what puts his team over the top to get a win over Philly. And I, I think the bigger problem for me is, and it's a similar thing with Miami, Boston doesn't have absolutely anybody who's matching up with Joel. I think Daniel Tice is a good regular season modern NBA center where uh, – he can move well enough and and play team defense and do all that stuff. But when he actually has to play one-on-one defense against Joel Embiid, he's just going to get eaten alive, and he has historically. Then you have Ennis Canner that I, I think Joel struggles a little bit more against those big-bodied types, as we've discussed in the Certainly, past. But, yeah. but even still, like the in if Canner's getting minutes and Horford plays his backup minutes – 
you spread the floor and play pick and roll with one of Richardson and Harris and you can just murder him. Like you will run him off the floor. He's not good. I, I think the, the Celtics certainly have enough assets and enough guys that they can move on, on decent contracts that if they wanted to, I'm sure that they could go out and get a better big man to maybe match up with Joel. And then maybe this conversation changes a little bit, but I just, I don't know what they would do to deal with him over the course of a series. Like they, now that Horford is gone, they just have nobody that can stand in there and, and, and deal with him physically. And the one guy who can canter is a major, major liability against pretty much everybody else on the roster. And he's not even especially good against Joel. That's more of a uh, – that's where I would agree with like the, the Shaxx and Barclays of the world. Is like That's one where he's just got to say, like, I'm taking this game over. And I think in a playoff setting, he definitely would. Now, are there any other big men that would be available on the market that you think could entice the Celtics? Because just for me personally, when I'm looking around at what potential trade targets out there, I'm only looking at guards and wings. So I don't know if you had potentially more insight to a guy we should be weary of them picking up or by we Sixers fans. And I know you're more of the objective. Well, the one before the season that I guess kind of got nullified because I believe he signed an extension with Sabonis with the Pacers because they're like... Yes. That would... A big white guy? Ooh. <laughs> well, but so that was a situation where it looked like, like – I don't know how they're going to make that work with him and Miles Turner long-term. And you would you would figure – What's got to yeah, go? you would figure one is going to have to leave. And I think they have signaled that Turner is the, the preferred guy to keep. So, As I mean, I think be. if they can I, – I certainly think – and we'll get to the Pacers in a minute. But, I, I mean, Sabonis would be a definite – upgrade there is he enough of an upgrade to make the difference up in that series i don't think so um again the other thing we have to bring up here is brad stevens has schemed against ben simmons probably as well as anybody in the league obviously the the playoff series a couple years ago was just an outright disaster and his teams are very good at walling him off in transition so he can't get going in that way in half court, I think some of it is on Ben where he just psychs himself out and and doesn't do the things that he's capable of doing. That's some, like a mental block that he has to overcome. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're in the mix unless there is a material change as it pertains to the big man rotation. Yeah, if they would have just given up Aaron Baines in that Anthony Davis deal last year, we, they could have had him. Aaron Baines, man, has been killing it in Phoenix, although that team has uh, – they've it's come back team. down to earth a little bit after that hot start. I think everybody was a little premature anointing them like the new or the next big thing. Devin Booker has a couple good weeks, and everyone loses their minds. What do you think of Devin Booker? You like Devin Booker? Um, So I don't – I. I like him more than – so I – you know, Seamus, maybe the audience is not. I'm, I'm not a big, like – big stats on bad teams guy i i tend to think like oh, those yeah, guys yeah. are generally overrated like i'm a i'm pretty anti brandon ingram i think but there, but i think Stinks. there's a difference between what he's doing and what devin booker did prior to this year where yeah devin booker was putting up big numbers but that team was just trash around him and so i didn't put that necessarily on him whereas i think ingram is only putting up big numbers because it's a bad team, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, so, true. yeah, I mean, I 
I like Booker. I think he's super talented. I and he kills the Sixers. I don't they they had they don't have any idea what to do with him. I remember I don't remember if this was last year or the season before where they came in and I think he put up like forty something, maybe fifty something, and it was just like the most casual big scoring night that I can remember. And it was like, how the hell did they lose to that team? And you look up and, and Booker had just burned the nets down, I guess. Yeah, I remember we scored like seventy three or whatever that was and they got trashed and it's just like kind of embarrassing the way they were celebrating yeah well that's where i would i'd skew against them it's like i no victory laughs when you're losing the game i don't care how many points you score yeah so i I, yeah i agree is what i'm saying um okay moving on to another team the sixers beat recently we're really hitting all the uh sixers are just that good i suppose so i mean they are 20 and 8 right now they're playing well against they play well against the good teams, which is yeah. I think actually speaking that. of, there was a a tweet today. I can't. I'm blanking on who sent it out, but they measured the efficiency for teams against. I want to say above 500 or maybe playoff teams, and the Sixers had it was like the best net rating and I believe the best record as well. So I mean, as far as their performances against. These kind of teams, they've acquitted themselves well so far. But so this one... Y'all ain't ready for that combo. (laughs) This one that we're going to focus on now, the Toronto Raptors, the very same team that eliminated them last year. So I have them marked down as a no. Sheamus has them marked down as a no. Why do we not fear the Raptors, Sheamus? Yeah, they lost their best player. It's pretty friggin simple i think it's that's basically the whole case right there it's like i i think pascal siakam has been really good this year he has tailed off a little bit after a good start as as the rest of the team i just don't believe he's a guy that is option 1a on a really good playoff team. certainly and the difference between yeah. this year and last year is that he has to be yeah i'm weary of anyone who basketball twitter uh, prematurely anoints so I'm ready for him to come Not a back big Donnie Mitchell guy? Yeah. Uh, he's one loser of the week, right? Uh, I don't know if loser of the week was in... Uh... Oh, wait. He might have been... No, he wasn't inaugural. He might have been the inaugural. He was the inaugural. He would think he was the... F- was he the first? Who was Dan the- Burke. Oh, Dan Burke was the first. Yeah, one, but I think we called him a cop and a loser. So, yeah. you know, that's basically like being the loser of the week. I called I called Mitchell a cop and I was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's the cop loser of the week. <laughs> For his, uh, oh, by the way, just so there's context there for people who didn't listen previously, it's because he was snitching on fans talking trash in the crowd. Yes. Anyway, back to the Raptors. I I like a lot of guys on that team. I don't necessarily love anyone, and I I mean, here's where I would say the case against the Sixers in a Raptor series is I don't know that we've seen someone on. The Sixers step up and say, I'm definitely going to be option 1A in a playoff series. I think the nature of their series wins the last couple of years has been more of a a balanced attack. And even last year, it was kind of Jimmy leading the way in round one. It was Ben, I would say, two years ago against Miami. But once they get yes. – once they're playing what I would say are quote-unquote real teams in round two – I don't think anybody really acquitted themselves especially well. I know Tobias certainly struggled. Joel 
the health issues last year and then the Horford the year before. Ben, we don't really need to go any further than that. Josh Richardson, not a guy who's going to carry the offense. So it's something that they're going to have to figure out. As much as I'm, I'm discounting Siakam as the lead guy, they, at least they can say they went all the way to the finals and these guys have the – the credentials of all right i i performed well in an eastern conference finals and an nba finals like fred van vliet maybe maybe he's not a traditional second third piece on a title contender but that guy hit monster shot after monster shot in the final rounds last year so they do have an experience advantage over these guys which i guess you can't you never count out the heart of a champion sheamus oh my god i like van vliet though i'll say yeah, I was, you know, I came into this year thinking he might end up being a, a, a trade candidate, but I think he's played so well there that I don't know how they can consider, unless they're doing like a total teardown, which doesn't really seem like they're in a position to do that at the moment. They seem good enough that they can kind of keep chugging along and and build around the edges. But yeah, I think he's... I wish he was a sixer. He's a, he's a hooper, man. I like that guy. Best hairline in the league, not even close. Yeah, that's a that's been a. Who were the other candidates? There was a meme that went around Twitter recently. It was yeah, him. I don't know who else was. Tatum might have been on there, but no, he's the loser of the week. He can't you can't give credit to anybody from Boston. That's not that's against the rules around here. Uh, not LeBron, certainly. I don't know who else would be up there. Okay, well that one that one's it's him because it's him. It's because not even close. <laughs> so the the Raptors one is kind of nice boring hairline. because. We kind of agree on that. So let's move on to Indiana, who Seamus is a maybe on. And what is the maybe yeah. hinge on? It's Victor Oladipo, certainly. If he comes back, obviously uh, Kyle and I had discussed this a little bit before the podcast where uh, the nature of Oladipo's injury is a little bit more rare than what we usually see with you know guards who are missing significant time off. But if he's able to come back in the next couple of weeks, he should have four months or so to get himself in shape and get himself ready uh, for – an eventual playoff series. So I think, you know, the Sixers are always going to struggle against those ball dominant guards who can put people into pick and rolls with ease. And I think Oladipo is certainly one of the best at that. And coupled with being a fantastic all defense caliber player on the other end of the court, he's, you know, as well-rounded as of a guard as there is in the Eastern conference. And while Joel Embiid doesn't necessarily struggle uh, scoring the scoring against the guys like Miles Turner or Sabonis, I will say that there is something about akin to way Kyle talked about the heat and bringing uh, Joel away from the basket. I think with Miles Turner stretching the court, the Pacers could also do that. And I think I'd really like Oladipo more than like Butler. So in that situation, you have a better guy who's stretching the floor and Turner, a better player than, you know, Olenek. And then I think Oladipo and Butler is at worst a wash. And if Oladipo is healthy, I'd even give him a little bit of an edge there. So... And they also have Malcolm Brogdon, who we love to clown on Philly, but is actually an incredible player, I think. And if he was on the Sixers, they'd be the clear Eastern Conference. He would be. He is like – Brogdon is pretty much One everything Brogdon away. That they need. They should have got him over Al. I mean, that's not the way it like exactly works. Like Maybe Milwaukee wasn't scared about losing him to Indiana the way we were. Obviously, they would have to give up uh, significant compensation as well because uh, – you know, Pacers paid a first round plus for him to actually make the sign in trade work. And I don't know exactly how the Sixers were cat wise or pick wise to, if they were even able to do that kind of transaction. But if they really, really wanted to, they could have had. Him. Yeah, I think the concern with Brogdon would have been 
if you tie up your cap, like it, it, let's say you're not making the trade and you just try to sign them to an offer sheet, I think is probably the more realistic exactly, yeah. thing. Yeah. Then you're in a yeah. position where if Milwaukee decides, hey, we're, we want to screw over our our biggest competitor or imaginable rival. Yeah, th- yeah. Then you're, then you're tying up your cap sheet for a couple of days. And as we saw with how free agency unfolded, that could have had drastic effects on them, not just this season, but moving forward with the way guys moved and, and sign long-term deals. I, I think there was downside there that we probably gloss over a little bit. So I, I understand why they didn't go that route though. I, I certainly, I certainly think it's fair for us to sit here today and say, yeah, well, I don't know that the best use of resources was a guy who's a, a center who's going to have to play power forward in starting and closing lineups. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about the Pacers. I think for me, the problem is twofold. Number one, the Oladipo injury, I have no idea what he's going to look like coming back from it. He could come back and be all-star level, most improved player level, Victor Oladipo, and that's all well and good. But I have a bit of a hot take. I wonder if people think Oladipo is better than he actually is because he plays on a team that no one really cares about. And when he does have bad games, which every player does, no one really sees or cares about them because it's like if he has a bad game – in a Pacers Hornets game on a Tuesday night, that's not making any kind of sports talk show. He's not a guy who's a big enough name in a big enough market or a good enough player to matter in that way. And so I think we look at someone like Oladipo with rose colored glasses that maybe we wouldn't for other players. Now, granted, he is a guy who is a very good basketball player. He's He's turned into a better shooter. He's a, a much better pick-and-roll guy than when he came into the league. Obviously, I, your points are well taken, Sheamus, with the ability for their bigs to, to space the floor and the fact that I think where we talked about the Pacers maybe having to move on from one of these guys, I think it's an advantage against a team like Philly to have those two where they don't necessarily have to have a huge drop-off, whereas if you, if you trade Sabonis – for an upgrade on the wing or something like that. Maybe that helps you against another team more. But I do think that having two guys to battle with Joel and even with Horford to a lesser extent is an advantage in that kind of series. But I just I don't think I trust Oladipo's health and or his ability to perform in a, a high-level playoff series to, to take them seriously. I think the Sixers have guys that – between Richardson and Simmons and even Thibault to a lesser extent that they can slow down their guards. And then it's just a matter of you have to stop like TJ Warren from making a bunch of threes, which I think they can do that. Yeah. You're a coastal elite who doesn't understand middle America. Yeah. We already knew that. Hey, I'm not leaving the coast ever unless there's like a, a big pot of gold waiting for me in one of those Midwestern cities. So I will happily (laughs) take the, uh, the moniker of, of coastal elite. Uh, so we only have one more team on our pre-podcast list because the eighth seed in the play, in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now is the Orlando Magic, and I'm not going to bother with, with that team. Are you going to say it? No, just with that team in general, with Nikki Vucevic and, no. and Mark Fultz. I just we don't need to spend much time on them. But I was I was looking for a watch how they switch sides. Mention. Well, 
You just you just. That's made what I meant. That's what I was like. Are you not gonna? That's what I was like. Are you not gonna say it, or am I gonna have to say it? So the last team we'll get into is finally a team that has recently beaten the Sixers, the Brooklyn Nets, and Seamus and I are both in the maybe category on them. Definitely not a strong yes, but I, at least on my side, I see guys who have tortured the Sixers at their respective teams for years. And I, I think we've generally accepted that this is probably just a season off for Kevin Durant. But if for some yeah. weird reason he somehow is back before the end of the season and they go into the playoffs with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, that is a completely different team that we have no ability to account for right now. So that's why they're in the uh, the maybe side for me with leaning no. I'm worried now. I just got really pessimistic is that the Sixers are going to have a fantastic season and be the second seed and get matched up with a seven seed Brooklyn team that is now somehow playing. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be back this year. I think this Neither is pretty... I'm just, just so then it, it, in that case, you're basically just dealing with Kyrie Irving and Spencer Dinwiddie who granted might put up 80 points a game combined. Against the Sixers. They're just a nuisance for the Sixers. They're just, they'll have their couple combo guards who'll go off. They'll play the Sixers in a five or six game series that'll be infuriating. They'll somehow win game one in Philly and people will freak out like last year. And then the Sixers will blow them out a game or two and it'll be a little tight knit and it'll be infuriating watching them just go pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll every time down the court in the second half and the fourth quarter. But the Sixers ultimately not going to lose a series to them. I think my the the other trepidation I have is we look at that net series last year, and a, a lot of that hinged on Joe Harris turning into a pumpkin. Which I don't maybe he's not going to be in a, the elite shooter he is in the regular season in the playoffs, but I don't know that you can duplicate that again. And Kyrie Irving is better at basketball than D'Angelo Russell, so. I don't think Ben Simmons is just taking Kyrie Irving out of a playoff series. No, so that's no. a that's a little bit different. And a, outside of the the closeout game, that series was relatively close. Like there were some, they had to win a game where Greg Monroe was the starting center. Just like think about how outrageous that win was for no, them. No, I can I can think about it. So certainly. I mean, look, I'm not going to write them off totally. I think there are certainly some pitfalls for the Sixers there, but I think they. They would have a, a pretty pretty big talent advantage at the top end, and, and ultimately when you get into the playoffs, I think that is what matters. I also like I don't really trust Brooklyn's defense. I think Kenny Atkinson is a a good coach, but they I mean they're like a middle of the pack defense, which is about what you is you would expect from a team with that personnel. And so I I don't especially or I wouldn't especially fear them if I were the Sixers. No, no. All right. So those are all the teams we're going to go through. We're going to, well, hit a couple quick ones here before we get out of here. Uh, trade season is underway now that the December 15th deadline has passed, where guys who were most players who were signed in the offseason are now trade eligible. Do you have a number one candidate that you would like the Sixers to bring in, Seamus? Derek White, a guy I was really high on coming out of Colorado back in the 2017 draft. He can, he's a point guard. He can 
dribble the ball. I think that we underrate the fact, or overlook, however you want to say it, the fact that the Sixers need people on their team who can dribble a fucking basketball. Because <laughs> look at the, just, the way that, that full-court press at the end of the Miami game recently just hammered at home. They have essentially one guy who can be counted on to actually dribble the ball in bed. I would need. I would like another guard on the roster. Is that too much to ask? Like an actual, actual real guard? No, and I, I think somebody. So his name's been floated a bunch recently. He can, sh- he can shoot. He oh, can I'm pass. not even talking He's, about. I was going to say a different player than Derek White because I don't know that Derek White is especially available for in San Antonio. Well, they said they're going to rebuild, so I don't know. He's a little bit older. I think he was like 24 when he came out of college. So he's probably, what, 26-ish right now. I don't know if they view him as a long-term piece or someone who just made this might be the player he is. And while he's very good, it's not a, it, he's pretty good. It's not necessarily a building block for their future, and they would just take an asset of a future first runner for him. They also have Lonnie Walker. And who did they draft this past year, San Antonio? They have another backcourt mate to pair with him. I'd I, like my thing with Derek White is I just believe that so he's only he doesn't turn he, twenty six like until next July. Okay, so, so he he could 25. theoretically be on the next good Spurs team. Now sometimes you could get more value if you trade a guy like him that it seems like he's going to stick around and be part of your core and. And pick up some extra assets. I think the more likely path for them is they get rid of one or both of DeRozan and Aldridge and kind of build around the young guys like Lonnie Walker, Derek White, Deontay Murray, etc. Like those are the yeah. If they have Lonnie and Dejounte, are they maybe okay just rolling with those two guys? We'll see. But I would like at least conceptually, I would think they want to hang on to to White because he's a good defender. As you said, he can dribble a basketball and shoot, which are two very valuable skills to have in today's NBA, as it turns out. Um, How would you feel about a J.J. Redick reunion, Seamus? I mean, mean, you could say this for every player, but it doesn't depend on the price. I'm not parting with a first rounder for him. I don't think you're getting him if you're not moving a first rounder. Then that's fine. I don't. Again, he's a unique tasker in the sense he's an incredible, incredible shooter. Him being on the court certainly is a huge, huge plus for Joel Embiid's offensive performance. But as a guy who, again, can't be counted on to handle the ball, and two, isn't a great defender by any means, uh, there's no real need for me to be parting with a first round pick, especially when the Sixers can't trade their 2020 first round pick because they gave that up to Pius Harris trade. So the next soonest first round that the team could part with before a draft day deal is 2022 i believe the 2022 pick so if you're really going to not have be able to trade a first rounder you know three months from now until 2024 because of the stipend rule which for people that aren't familiar is uh based on ted stipend a former cleveland cavaliers owner in the 80s who would just trade first round pick at their first round pick and the league was just like we need to protect you guys against, against your own stupidity so yeah every other year so they traded the 2020 pick for Tobias. They traded their 2022 for Redick. They wouldn't be able to trade another pick until way, way, way in the future in 2024. I'm not doing it for Redick. Yeah, I I, I think the problem yeah. is that there's no way you're getting anybody good that's going to help you win a I'll title. I'll give him a first rounder, but not not for him. I'll give him a first rounder, though. I'm not saying no first rounders. Yeah, but I like Redick is one of the better players that you're going to get. I think on the trade market. Well, well, another. Let's go down the list. Bogdanovic. Do you think you get him for a first rounder and salary matching? Maybe, but I think the the Kings are more. It seems like they're more inclined to 
re-sign him after the season or at least like match any kind of offer he would get so and so two guys that are so stupid you never know what they would do two restrictive free agents that are potentially available are bada bandanovich and malik beasley are you willing to trade for guys that you're essentially like in your answer your example here you're giving up a first round pick for a guy that will almost exclusively just be here for the rest of the year that will not be with the team moving forward. All right. I'm fine doing that. Yeah. Championship. So you championship. would rather have be like, let's say Beasley or Bogdanovich for this year rather than Redick for the next two years. Yeah. See, I, I don't think that that's, I would rather have, Redick I don't know. For two years. Their windows this year. I think the windows this year. Well, I think the window is the next couple years, which is why I would I say. I don't even know if with Durant getting healthy, this could be it. It's all, the window is so always shorter than when people think this could be it. Yeah. I would prioritize getting somebody if it's possible that can contribute over I'm, a couple years. I'm not worried about it. And you know, 37 year old JJ Redick is we're, parting with someone who could be better and be more impactful on both ends of the court now, just so we have, you know, 36, 37 year old JJ Riddick in 2021. Well, look at it this way. I don't, I blanked on what I was going to say. So clearly you have the superior point, but here's what I would say. I get JJ's good. And if he's available, other teams might be pounced on other, other players that are good. You might not be able to beat other teams packages because again, you have that, uh, roadblock in terms of trading picks. So if Reddick's the best thing available, I get it, but he would not be someone I am prioritizing with my uh, scarce first-round pick assets. I guess the problem for me is there are so few guys that might actually be available. There are even fewer that are actually two-way players. Good. You could say good, but two-way guys. So uh, you have to pick – if you would have to pick offense or defense right now – I think given the skill sets of their all their top tier players, offense and shooting is a much bigger need. Now I think ball handling You need a you need a guy to shoot yeah, you need I ball think ball handling right and shooting there. off the dribble is more important than the shooting catch and shooting that JJ is gonna provide. And again, JJ is one of the best catch and shoot players ever. His little two man game with Embiid has been crucial, crucial for the last two years offensively. But again, is that what they really? Is that what's truly missing from this offense? No, to me, what they need is a guy who can be a secondary ball handler, similar to the way that Josh Richardson is. Again, he just need, he's certainly not going to be on Josh Richardson's caliber for a guy that you're going to be picking up the deadline, but someone who could do a little bit of that, someone who could create, someone who could run a friggin' pick and roll. See, I think you could get that kind of like you could get Alec Burks from the Warriors, and he could do some of that, and he's like a then passable get him. shooter. That'd be great. But that's a guy you're getting for. A cap dump essentially so you'd like i'm fine with right, that but you could get that and then use the fr- like it's easier to justify so, you, so okay so is it is it just malik beasley or then or is it just Derek white as opposed to burks and jj reddick again like reddick i think he gets hunted in the playoffs i love him in the regular season his again can understate his offensive relationship and chemistry with joel Embiid, and obviously as joel Embiid goes so will the sixers but I don't know. I like Burks, though. Again, a god being. Yeah, I, so it, it becomes a thing where it's like, can you make deals for more than one guy? In which case, I think you could probably find a ball handler type and a shooter. Now, obviously, if you can get a guy who does both, 
That's great. But I, I, I yeah. think... Wouldn't that be wild to have a basketball <laughs> player that could simultaneously, he could dribble and he's good at that, but he could also start dribbling and then pick up the ball and shoot it and make it? It'd be freaking insane. Yeah. Beasley is kind of... It'd be unstoppable if they had a guy Beasley's who could Beasley's like that. more of a straight up two guard, which I think they... I can't even remember the last like normal two guard they had it's always these like they've as you said unitaskers it's like bellinelli i don't and think they've have they ever had yeah one. i don't it's it has not been for a while so he'd be interesting but again i he turned down i believe it was reported as a 10 million dollar a year deal so you would be trading for him knowing that he's probably out of here i don't care if he's coming back yeah all right well He's a, I, I think Malik Beasley's good. I think he's not getting enough minutes in Denver this year. They some for some reason are obsessed with Michael Porter Jr., who defends like Sticks. he's me out there. Sticks. Like I don't I don't understand. Sticks. Uh okay. One more quick hitter before we get out of here. There was some Instagram drama involving Trey Burke's dad, who I guess is upset with Trey Burke not getting minutes. And then in another layer of intrigue in the situation, Kyle O'Quinn liked the post about Trey Burke's dad's comment. And so, and then another layer of intrigue, Kyle O'Quinn posted a bunch of cryptic messages on his Instagram story that nobody understands, but tried to interpret for Twitter. What are your thoughts, Shane? How many people, how many layers of intrigue how are many, we at here? How many people do you think tagged me in a tweet about Trey Burke's dad being angry. too many. That's my answer. Yes. I would say about like a dozen. So in response to the post from Burke's dad, the Sixers released a statement that's from Burke. This was to Keith on the Philadelphia inquirer written by Dave Scholler. <laughs> I said uh, that not you. I'm not going to, I'm going to assume this came you. directly from Trey Burke. That's what I will that's what I'll say. So here it is. Quote, earlier today, I was made aware of my dad's social media post. While I appreciate the support he's shown throughout my career, his comments don't reflect how I feel and we've addressed that. My focus is doing whatever I can to help this team win a championship. I appreciate the support this organization, the fans, and city of Philadelphia have shown me. End quote. So here's my statement. I don't think Trey Burke is good enough to even really care about what his dad has to say on Instagram. No players whose parents are angry on the Sixers were ever good enough for them to be angry about the beginning. And here's, I think Burke, him, Rashawn. I think, well, actually, you know what? Rashawn has been pretty good this year. So I don't know that that's the guy to to bring up. He's having a bit of a uh, a resurgence in in Sacramento. yeah, you know, I think Burke maybe deserves a little bit more of a chance. I don't I, I'm a Neto booster, as everyone listening to this podcast probably knows, but he hasn't been especially Neto good. Boomin. It's been more steady average ish, maybe below average on a lot of nights. He shot the ball well, which has been really helpful. And when you're building those second units around Joel and Bead post ups, I think that's a big deal. I think they should be toying with more Trey Burke or even Neto as an off-ball ball handler next to Simmons, which they haven't really done this year. But it's weird because Ben or Brett, I should say, loved those lineups with TJ inexplicably. Oh my god! If I had to watch one more minute of this, I wanted to. I didn't say it was good, but Brett 
and Theory likes that setup. So why is he not running it with either of those? Yeah, two dudes? but but he, and, ask him that. How about you ask him that? End of the day, we have asked him when the opportunities have risen. End of the day, I just don't think that the Trey Burke is they they just stat especially thing. good. And then so the Kylo Quinn thing. Kylo Quinn's a guy that I have liked for a long time. I think he's a, a very capable, competent backup center. But if you look at what the numbers say about how they've looked with him on the court this year, they are an absolute dumpster fire whenever O'Quinn is in the game. And I now some of that, I think, is that he's a terrible fit next to Ben Simmons specifically. And it's like a mirror in him. It's like a mirror where he was god awful on the court just because playing him and Simmons together was just right. A and it, but the problem is you're not going to get him on the court with Burke or Neto because those minutes are going to come with Joel Embiid. With Joel. And so there's not really unless they completely change the rotation, which is structured around getting the right rest for Embiid during a game. Hot take: the uh, rotation is not going to be built around Kyle right. Quinn. And look, I get his. I get that he might he could be frustrated. He hasn't outright said anything. We're reading into Instagram likes, which is fucking outrageous, honestly. I love but, it. But, you know, you came here and signed here after Al Horford had agreed to a major yeah, money have, deal. They have 16 players that are 6'10 and above, and you signed here, pal. Now you're bitching about yeah. your playing time. And I, I want to KOQ here. I, I'm the guy who keeps saying they would have won the championship if they had him on the team last year. But... What did you sign off? Yeah, I mean, look, he came here, and the very first day he was here, he told reporters, he said, "Yeah, last year was like the most frustrating year of my career, and that was on a team in Indiana with Miles Turner and Sabonis. Guess what? Joel Embiid better than both those guys. Al Horford probably better than both those. And it guys. ain't close. It's like, I, what are we talking about here? What did, I, if the frustration is over Norval Pell getting minutes ahead of you? How about him? Okay, I, uh, maybe I get it, but look, they have to give young guys a shot at some point. If Brown was never given young players a chance to play, he gets criticized for that too. So they, there's always somebody that's going to lose. And right now, lineups with – and this is according to Cleaning the Glass. I'm pulling out the the advanced stats, so getting real nerdish up in here. Lineups with O'Quinn on the floor are in the zeroth percentile right now for the entire NBA. So in theory, that if they had me out on the court, they would be in the same percentile. Yeah, but I don't think you would get as big of a chance as he would. I think it would probably be pretty clear the, that you're uh, – because, look, I don't want to make this sound like Kyle Quinn is just like – You don't know how I am on the court. I don't want to make this sound like Kyle Quinn is like the, the biggest problem with the team running. No, I, I I like Kyle Quinn like in a vacuum, yeah. so this is no shade to him whatsoever. I mean, if there's players on the team that suck, you know I'm comfortable. Saying. Yeah, I, I think part of the problem is the way that they structure their defense is also maybe not – the best way to get the most out of him and it's built around this is how we play with Joel Embiid protecting the rim or Al Horford protecting the rim or Norval Pell even protecting the rim and he's kind of the the odd man out in that regard so we'll see if he uh if he figures things out maybe I, I think the there's enough passing between him and Ben that that should that should do something, but it has to be kind of a perfect setup around them for it to work, and I don't think that's going to going to happen here. Sorry, KOQ. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else? Do we want to D 
deem a new loser, loser of the week? week? Uh, it's with a heavy heart that I must vote for loser of the week as our great friend Al Horford. I enjoyed a nice pint of Halo Top ice cream last night after the Sixers game. After my, I took a nap during the Sixers game after the Eagles game, uh, as that happens, Sleepy and then Seamus. eat some. Sleepy Seamus. Uh, nothing. There was no trade, surprisingly, <laughs> when I was sleeping. Uh, and then I ate a pint of oatmeal cookie Halo Top. Uh, just 280 calories during Watchmen. Uh, so shout out to Al Horford. But at the same time, you are, in fact, the loser of the week. Though you are not the biggest loser of the week this season, I will say. So you lose that sort of sports center top 10 matchup against uh, the losers of yesteryear. Against Jason Tatum, Dan Burke, Kevin Porter Jr. It, Oh yeah, Kevin Porter Jr. Some real big losers in there. Dan Dan Burke is a BLE big loser. Yeah, well, so I mean Horford, I don't even really put it on him. He's not a real he's not yeah. a real loser. He's just a loser this week. Those guys are like capital L losers. He's just a loser. Yeah, he had a really loser. tough go of it, and Brooklyn struggled to defend and and looked like the the soreness and tightness that he's been dealing with has not left him yet i think he probably should have sat that game i think he probably felt obligated to go once joel Embiid was ruled out with an illness actually you know what i'm vetoing this the loser of the week is the immune systems of the philadelphia 76ers basketball team they've been dealing with this for like five years they're the sickest team in the history of professional doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense so like i'm just like call bullshit. Dude, wash your hands. Use some Purell. Drink. They're just all hungover and shit. Take I some think, vitamin which C. Is fine. Like do something. I don't understand how they're sick every single year. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's almost like the two medical staffs in this city and maybe the premier medicine city in the entire fucking planet just has the most incompetent staff. I, I so. I'm sorry to veto you, Seamus, but I feel like that was in a void the I trade. It was inappropriate. Void the loser occasion. of the week. Void the loser of the week. So the loser of the week. No, who's so, in my eyes? Who's who's a TO? Is the entire 76ers immune oh system? You have so the thing about loser of the week is you have to like it's not a have a take coward thing. It's just like you calling someone out. There has to be someone that you're calling out. It has to be like this call to arms you can't just pick something all right how about this like it's the entire abstract it's the entire organization for allowing this to go on they're all losers it's just can we so it's josh harris <laughs> it's josh yes it's josh harris it's on it's Brown, it's okay Mead. it's every last okay. one of them okay i'll write josh howard down or josh harris get, a, get better josh immune howard. systems yeah. you cowards it'd be cool if josh howard was on the sixers prime josh howard they could use oh him right God. now i almost forgot that he existed he made an all-star team, I think. Yeah, he was good for a couple of years there in the mid-2000s. Yeah. Like All right. I like those right, match well, teams. That's the, those are my thoughts on Loser of the Week. That was our podcast for this week. We thank you all for listening. As always, if you haven't already, you could subscribe, give us some five-star ratings, send your complaints to somebody else with the podcast. We will catch up with you next week or maybe after another clash with our old friend Jimmy Butler. I'll see you guys. Go Silver Snakes. Go Silver Snakes indeed. Nobody builds 5G. 
like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.